Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey everyone, welcome to Veritas. It's good to see so many of you. You guys are really far away, but that's okay. Uh, If we've not yet met, my name is Davis. Uh, This is my second summer on staff, so I've been here for just over a year now. Uh, Behind me is hopefully a picture of me in a tuxedo and also my wife. Uh, Her name is Emily. Two important pieces of context about us is one, she is a year older than me, and two is that we started dating in high school. We're both from Indiana. Uh, I was a junior and she was a senior at the time which when we started doing long distance, uh, she came to Mizzou because she was really passionate about journalism. She's a really talented writer. And so where else do you go but the best journalism school in the nation? Uh, Which means that I spent all of my senior year of high school convincing her and my parents and myself that I also wanted to be a journalist. But really it was just that I could follow her here. Honestly, I had spent the first three years of high school telling everyone that I was going to go to IU and study physical therapy. So kind of a 180 to journalism, but here I am five-ish, six-ish years later with a journalism degree, a job that has almost nothing to do with journalism and a wife. So I got what I wanted out of the deal. Uh, Back to Emily, though. As we were transitioning into being in college together and trying to figure out kind of what our rhythm was, both attending Mizzou Uh, we decided on two things. First was that we needed to find a ministry that we could go to together. And second was that we wanted to have a similar friend group, people that we could hang out with together. But ultimately, we wanted to have separate friends, our own support networks. And so throughout her freshman year, Emily had started getting involved at Veritas. It was really similar to the ministry that we both went to in high school, seemed like a great fit. And so when I got to Mizzou, she invited me to Veritas's like kickoff cookout that we do to kick off the school year. Uh, and I knew exactly one person at Mizzou, let alone the state of Missouri. And so I thought that she was going to take me around, introduce me to people, kind of show me the ropes of what it meant to get involved at Veritas. Instead, she hung out with me for, I'm not joking, probably five minutes, and then said, okay, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, see you in an hour. And I was just like, what the heck? I thought we were doing this together. She's right over there. But uh, I wasn't too mad at the time. But I was a pretty shy kid growing up, and it wasn't until college that I got out of my comfort zone and learned how to start conversations with strangers. And so I made it through the night. I don't remember anybody that I met. I don't truly remember what happened, but I do remember learning an important lesson, and that's that I needed friends in college. I needed friends in general, and they weren't going to come easy. It was going to take a little bit of discomfort and effort to make them. It's a pretty simple statement, but we all need friends, don't we? Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, someone who's stoked to hang out all the time or needs like six days to recharge from the one day they spent with other people, I'm going to guess that you felt the effects of times where you haven't had friends. Friends are where we seek comfort. It's where we're known and seen and cared for. 
And you've probably had a time where you haven't had that. Maybe you resonate with the story I just told because you're experiencing it here right now. This is your first, second, third time at Veritas. You don't know anyone. You were anxious when you showed up because we weren't starting, we weren't playing music yet, and so you kind of had to just look around and decide who you're going to talk to. Maybe you don't know the person you're sitting next to. That's all really hard. Or you're an incoming freshman. You're about to go off to college, and whether that's here at Mizzou or somewhere else, you spent all of high school trying to figure out who you are and what you like doing and what kind of person you want to be, and you formed friends around that identity. You spent all of your time proving that to other people, and no matter where you're going to school or how many friends are already there, the vast majority of people at that school are not going to know who you are. They're not going to know what you did in high school, what you like doing now, who you want to be. You've got to spend time making those friends. Weirdly enough, it's the same situation if you just graduated or are about to. You're probably going to get a job in a different city. Even if you get a job back from where you're from, you've not been there in four years. Things have changed. You're going to, you just went through college. You just made the friends that culture tells us are supposed to last a lifetime. And you're about to move into another period of life where the people around you don't know you, and you have to spend time investing to make sure that they do. Whether it's right now or sometime soon, we're all going to go through a period that I'm describing, a period where we're not known. And yet, we all need friends. We need to put in the hard work to make them. Why? Because the Bible says that we're literally made for them. Let's look at Genesis, the creation story in the Bible, together to see this. Genesis 2, 5 to 7 says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God created the world, but he needed someone to work it and cultivate it. And thus he creates man. Let's keep going in Genesis, skipping to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God takes the man that he's made and he puts him and assigns him this role of watching over the garden, tending to it, working it. It's not work like you and I imagine, like toiling to survive, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks just to put food on the table. Instead, it's, it's this easy work that comes, it's just a harvesting of the abundance that God has graciously given. And yet, amidst all of this goodness, there's still something missing. God had given man a role to fulfill and he'd given him instructions to live by so that he can continue to live in God's presence. But there was still something else that man needed. Skipping to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man was missing a partner. Man was not meant to be alone. Or in other words, man was made to be in relationship. I think it's important to recognize that in context here, this helper that was suitable that God made for Adam was his wife, Eve. So the context here is a romantic relationship. But I think it's equally relevant to our friendships because man is not meant to be alone. It's always stood out to me that Adam was literally living in God's presence, and yet God still thought it was good to give him a partner. Why is that? You've probably heard this said. It's being used pretty often recently, but our generation, I'm only 22, so I'm probably in the same generation as you, is the loneliest in history. And in some sense, you might be able to chalk this up to the fact that 
we're just talking about loneliness more, we're doing more studies, we're reporting on it more, so the numbers are skewed, but I don't think that that explains away everything because we're referring to it as a loneliness epidemic. That word means a pervasive disease, and it might be kind of a trigger word right now. We've got one too many epidemics going on, but uh, I think if we're describing loneliness like a disease, then we need to take it seriously. It has lasting impacts in our lives. One psychobiologist referred to it with germ theory. Germ theory is essentially just this idea that we've known diseases are killing people for a really long time, but we didn't know why until we discovered the germ, and we figured out that that was how it was passing between people and getting into their systems and killing them. It's the same thing for loneliness. We've discovered that stress is actually the killing factor behind loneliness. The stress of trying to do life alone, trying to navigate life without a support network and people to lean on and people who care about you. Stress can be so bad for you that not only does it exacerbate existing medical conditions, but it can even create new ones, like heart problems and different types of cancer. Some analysts are saying that prolonged loneliness is as bad for you as spending your entire life with a smoking addiction. That's insane. So what is it about our generation that makes us so lonely? I for sure don't have all the answers, but I don't think you have to look very hard to start finding some of them. Phones isolate us from meaningful face-to-face -face conversation and relationships. Social media has lulled us into being okay with just keeping up with somebody's social image rather than actually following up with them and seeing how they're doing. You know what they're doing, but you don't know how they're doing. Depression and anxiety are certainly not terms to throw around lightly, but they can keep us from community, which then makes us more likely to be depressed and anxious, which is a super dangerous snowball. Regardless of the specific source, I think it's pretty easy to tell that our culture doesn't naturally produce these deep, vulnerable, messy, meaningful relationships. Our friendships are lacking. Honestly, it's really easy when you've been lonely for a while to convince yourself not only that you don't need friends, but that you don't even really want them. Life might feel easier, more convenient, less messy when other people aren't around. But we need to push through that melancholy fog because we are not living fully unless we're living with other people around us to be there to care for us. I mean, think about it. What is your first reaction when you get good news or when you accomplish something or when you need to process something? My guess is that you rush to the person that you're closest to to share that thing with them. Life is better with other people around. Every laugh is a little bit longer and harder when you're sharing it with somebody. Every season of mourning is a little bit easier when you know that somebody's there for you. And every moment of joy and memory is a little bit sweeter when you've got somebody to share it with. Life alone is possible, it's fine, but life with others is what we were literally made for. It's not good for us to be alone. And I think that begs the question, what actually makes a good friend? What does the Bible actually say makes a good friend? Is it just anybody? Is it someone who just makes us less lonely? Or is there a picture that the Bible wants us to see and start pursuing? Let's look at a couple of verses that I think kind of help us flesh out this picture. Proverbs 27, 17 says, is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Galatians 6, 2 says to carry each other's burdens. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Notice the theme. The Bible seems far less concerned with the friendship and far more concerned with the friends inside of the friendship. The Bible tells us to seek people that are willing to sacrifice for others. 
who are willing to carry each other's burdens, willing to sharpen each other, willing to encourage us, challenge us, spur us on to love and good deeds. You get the point. And that said, I know non-Christians who fit those descriptions, sometimes better than the Christians that I know. You don't need to be a Christian to be supportive, to do good, to love people well. But I actually omitted a little bit from those verses. So let's go back in and fill them in. Galatians 6.2 actually says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10 actually says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Those last lines are crucial for us to notice. Carrying each other's burdens is done because Christ did that for us and we're meant to love as he does. Spurring one another on toward love and good deeds is great, but do it all the more as the day approaches. The day being when Jesus comes back and restores the world and lives with us, his people again. If the people surrounding us aren't following Jesus, then what are they spurring us towards? There's no focus on the day approaching, just the now. You can have good, lasting friendships with people who fit these descriptions, but if the ultimate goal isn't to move each other to Jesus, then the relationship is missing something. Okay, so we know we need friends because we were made for them, and that the Bible gives us a pretty specific description of what kind of person we should be looking for. I think the next obvious question is, how do I get them? Some of you are thinking, I've been searching for this kind of friend for so long. Maybe I've had it, but it always seems to fall apart or fade away or end in drama. Give me some practical steps so that I can rush out of here and just start making the friends that I so desperately long for. Here's three steps that I think you can take moving forward to find the friends that you were made for. Step one, ask yourself if you are that friend. I know that's kind of like a Jesus jukey first step, but I promise, I think it's really important. Honestly, look back at some of your past friendships or maybe a friendship that's in turmoil right now and ask yourself, is your first reaction usually to stop, to slow down and to consider what kind of friend you are to that person? Or more likely, do you blame that person and run away to the next relationship, hoping that it's a little bit easier, a little less messy, a little bit more natural? Relationships are really, really hard, so we're not going to find the ones that we're supposed to be in unless we become the friend that we want others to be. It's the same as entering into a romantic relationship. You're not going to find the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with if you're just hopping from partner to partner to partner looking for that perfect puzzle piece that fits with how you are exactly right now. No, that's awful advice. Rather, you need to become the person that's ready to be in that relationship. Ask yourself some hard questions like, am I ready to serve somebody, to give my time and a lot of my life to this person? Am I ready to support them and the decisions they make? Am I ready to point them back to Jesus? If not, it's probably not them that's the problem. Do you carry your friend's burdens or do your relationships look more like a one-sided counseling session? Do you spur your friends on to do good and to love or do you just expect those things back from them? Are you sharpening iron or just looking to be sharpened? Are you willing to give your friends the benefit of the doubt or do you run when things get messy? Are you willing to sacrifice some of your time and comfort to serve and love your friends or do you shut down when they need you at an inconvenient time? That one's super convicting for me because for so many years, I just had a rule that I was not gonna pick up my phone past 9 p.m. 
And I look back on that with so much regret because I missed countless opportunities to be there for people that needed me. Making biblical friends isn't just about who they are, but about who we are too. Second, take initiative. Making good friends is not easy. I've said that a lot tonight, but I think it's really true. Part of becoming the friend that you want to have is being willing to initiate, being willing to invite people to hang out, be the one to send the text. Or if you catch wind of a hangout happening, step out of your comfort zone and ask if you could be part of it. I know it's super exhausting to be that friend. I'm speaking from experience here. And honestly, sometimes it can leave you wondering if, if you have to ask to be there, do they even really want you there in the first place? But that's just insecurity. And ask yourself the question, how are you going to become friends with somebody if you're not initiating and putting yourself in a situation to become friends with them? I, I know that's not easy. So let's talk about some small steps that you can be taking to initiate right here this summer in Columbia. If these are out of your comfort zone, that's okay. Pray, ask God for the strength to do them anyways, and then do them. First one, super easy. You can do it tonight. Uh, once I'm done talking, music team's gonna come back up. We're gonna do one more song, and then we're gonna break up into discussions where our staff team are gonna just lead a group of people through some questions about what we're talking about tonight. It can be super scary to approach a group of people that you don't know and to answer questions out loud in front of people because you feel like you might be judged. No one's gonna judge you. If you want a step tonight to initiate, to make friends that are gonna point you to Jesus, just stick around for a discussion. Another thing you could do this week is just invite somebody to coffee. It's a little hard right now because I don't think too many coffee shops are open seating, but you can find a way to just sit down with somebody that you know or that you want to know better and share something that's on your heart. Not some like deep, dark secret that's going to freak them out and make them not want to hang out with you anymore, but just something that's been on your mind that would be good to talk through somebody with, or talk through with somebody. Finally, and this is a really easy kind of selfish plug, come back next week. We have one more Tuesday night after this. Uh, Dirks is going to make an announcement earlier or later. We've got a little surprise with that, but just come back next week. Intentionally show up a little bit early before we start, before the music's playing, and just introduce yourself to someone. If walking up to a big group of people who are already in a conversation is intimidating, just find a group of two or one person just standing there. Even come find me. I'll talk to you, and then I'll introduce you to some people I know. It's as easy as walking up and just asking someone how their summer's been, what they're in town for, how their quarantine was, how they're feeling about the fall. There are so many easy conversation starters that can just get you initiating with this person. Before we move on to the third step, I want to address those of you here tonight who've probably checked out by now, uh, who don't feel like this applies to you because you already have friends. You've been around Veritas long enough that you recognize a lot of people in this crowd and they recognize you and, and maybe you even have some pretty good relationships with our staff team. That's awesome and I'm super glad that you stuck around long enough to make those relationships. But I wanna push you to have eyes to see the people here without them. At one point, you were new here. You didn't have the friends that you have now. People didn't know you and I'm gonna imagine that was not a super fun time. Don't you want everyone here to be where you are now? Wouldn't it be awesome if Veritas was this ministry with a reputation for accepting people and bringing them in and making them feel welcomed? Wouldn't it be awesome if Veritas was a ministry that people were excited to be new at and to bring new friends because they knew that people were going to find a group to hang out with and to fit in? Hmm. Rather than building walls around your friend group so that you can feel good about who you know and how that makes you look, 
just invite somebody in. I mean, what a great feeling it is to be invited into something, to feel like you're wanted. You can do that for somebody literally tonight. Or at the very least, if somebody initiates with you, asks to hang out with your group, please do not make them feel bad for it. They're doing the hard work of initiating and all you have to do is say yes. So please say yes. Third step, be patient. Great friendships do not form overnight. And that's easily the most obvious thing I'm gonna say all night. But outside of the parts that we read from the Bible, it's probably the most true thing I'm gonna say all night too. There's a story from an old Veritas small group. I wasn't around back then. But this group asked their leader to meet them at Memorial Union uh, for just a meeting. Their leader shows up, not knowing what's going on, and sees that they're set up kind of like a panel at this table, and they look super serious. So he sits down and is like, uh, what's up, guys? Like, I thought this was going to be a fun hangout. And they legitimately say to him, we took a vote and unanimously decided that we're kicking a dude out of the small group which is insane. I'm, some of you might be sitting here like, oh, that's a good idea. I need to get to voting after this. No, it's a bad idea. Uh, but this guy in the group, I just call him Ryan or something. Ryan was a little bit of a loudmouth, a little bit obnoxious, used every discussion as a chance to argue rather than to actually discuss with people. Um, kind of a know-it-all, and the guys were really sick of him. I think this would have been a prime example of a relationship that felt like more work than it was worth and would have been so easy to just move on from. Thankfully, instead of caving in, the leader encouraged the group to be patient. He asked them to do the hard work, to sacrifice some of their comfort in the group, to accept this guy, to have some grace, and even ask the question, why does this guy feel the need to speak up so often? Why is he so argumentative? What is he looking for? He encouraged the group the next time the dude spoke up rather than shutting down and disengaging and rolling their eyes, to engage, to answer his questions and to start a conversation and to actually get to know him rather than just kind of dreading the fact that he came back this week. And they did it and it worked. They all got along and became a healthy small group. I wasn't there, so I, don't, I can't vouch for the fact that those guys all became best friends, but you get the point, right? They were patient with him and it paid off. That's a relationship that they would have missed out on had they not been patient. We need to recognize that relationships take time. Become the friend you want. Surround yourself with the right people. Initiate. And then just wait. Give it time. Be patient and trust God's timing. Earlier I mentioned that friendships are for a purpose, and that's to help each other get where we're going. So as we wrap up tonight, I want us to consider where we're headed. Stop and look at your summer, at your life right now, and ask yourself where you're going. What's your goal right now? Where are you headed? As Christians, our goal is Jesus. Paul uses language in the New Testament comparing our life following Jesus to a race that we're running, working to make it across the finish line where we can exist in God's presence again. I saw this example a couple weeks ago, and as I was preparing this sermon, I just could not get it out of my head, so I was like, I'm going to include it. I'm not gonna bore you with all the details. We've all seen videos like this before, but all you really need to know is that this is a world championship race and that it's being held in Qatar, which is in the Middle East. And so it's really, really, really hot. The race had actually already been postponed for a couple weeks just because it was so hot and they were trying to beat the heat. But these people are racing to represent their countries. So the show has to go on at some point. Let's watch. Dragging the brave Aruban, Jonathan Busby, to the finish line. 
They are going to finish together here. The crowd are on their feet. Anybody who's able, standing to salute this outstanding demonstration of sportsmanship and camaraderie. They didn't travel here to drop out. They travelled here to finish. Bremer, Sukar Dabo and Jonathan Busby to a huge ovation from this massive crowd in Doha have finished the 5,000 metres. Gosh, that video gives me chills. I don't know why. But the article calls this good sportsmanship, and certainly it is. That guy's a great sport for sacrificing his race to help somebody else out, just to have the dignity to say that he made it across the finish line. But I think there's something more happening here, too. I think this is Hebrews 10. This is Galatians 6.2. This is Proverbs 27.17. This is a beautiful image of helping one another across the finish line of a life lived following Jesus. Who you're running next to matters because we're all gonna have times where we need help and we're all gonna have times where we need to help. If this dude wasn't able to look at himself and recognize that he needed help, he's gonna end up flat on his face 20 yards from the finish line. And if the guy running next to him isn't the kind of guy that he should be around or isn't running the same race, doesn't have the same goal, then he's not gonna be there to help him. Who are you running next to? We all need friendships because we were created for them, literally. But they're gonna take hard work. They're going to be exhausting and they're probably gonna be a little bit uncomfortable at times. But we need them. Why? Because a good, true friend doesn't just make us feel less lonely and they don't just remind us of Jesus and characteristics, but they point us back to him time and time and time again so that we can finish the race together. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.